0: An organization doesn't store that well they're they're gonna leave and go somewhere else and there's an opportunity for people that engage this group right and all donors right that prepare that listen and show impact and use every opportunity to to do that at, as they possibly can we, we're gonna have to work harder
1: From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, I'm joined by Sarah Landman. She's the senior VP at Insightful, which is a constituent insights platform that delivers you information that you need to know to build better and deeper donor relationships. During our conversation, we dive into just that. What are the donor signals that we need to be listening for in today's connected world, which can enable us to have better donor relationships and honestly be Be more responsive with our donors. Listening is a core strategy, and what we're listening for is those donor signals. And so Sarah weaves together her years of experience in nonprofits and really showcases what it means to listen well, and then leverage those insights that you do learn to be able to connect and suggest what is the best way for donors to connect with your cause. Sarah is a wealth of knowledge, so let's dive in. Sarah, you've been in the fundraising function for most of your career. You know, what really sparked that in your story? Like what was kind of the path you've taken uh, to where you are now with Insightful?
0: Sure. So I joined the fundraising industry, like a lot of people joins the fundraising industry, and that's by accident, completely by accident. Uh, I was a theater major at St. Mary's University in Winona, Minnesota, and I was a senior and I had personal reasons for needing to stay in the Winona, Minnesota area and uh, there's not a whole lot of jobs in theater in a town of 25,000 people in Minnesota. So, I started looking for something to do after school and I started with my university's job board and looking to see what they had. And they had a position open for a major gifts officer in the development office. And I took a look at the job description and what was needed. And, uh, you know, a lot of it applied to the communication skills I had learned through my uh, liberal arts degree and my theater degree. And I sat back and said, hey, I, I think this would be a good fit. So I ran into the president of our university, uh, Brother Louis Thomasis. And he asked me, "You know what are you doing next year?" And I said, "You yeah, know, I think i I want to do this I, I saw this, and I'm really interested and He took a step back and kind of looked at me and thought about it for a second and said, "Yeah, I think you'd be a really good fit for that. Why don't you email me and uh we'll we'll get it moving." So I emailed him um, and that helped me you know get to the right people, uh, secure the position, and led me down the path of being a lifelong uh, philanthropy professional. I uh, in that role, I went to the master's program at St. Mary's in philanthropy and development, and spent a few years meeting with really generous donors of the university and learning a lot. And then I was recruited uh, at a conference at Indiana University by a consulting firm out of Dallas, Texas. I joined them, did a lot of work with the Catholic church, uh, Catholic diocese, Catholic schools. And then I, my division, the Catholic division at that point was sold and I joined another firm out of Dallas, Texas and took on leadership roles, really enjoyed that. Spent about 11 years there. And then how I got to Insightful is I met one of the owners of our parent company, Newsbank. And we met through a mutual connection, just kind of, again, by accident. And I did some consulting with them on the product. Really loved it. You know, it was one of those moments where you see something and you can step back and say, wow, this can really change everything and really help gift officers. I've been in that seat and this tool would have helped me. Uh, So she asked me to join Insightful and help her build the philanthropy the vision and build the team and launch it in the market. And I, I said yes, I couldn't say no. Uh, and that's how I'm at Insightful and really enjoy my role there. I'm the senior vice president of Insightful. And Insightful is a web-based platform that helps nonprofits know more about their donors and the topics that they care about to help build deeper relationships in order to ultimately raise more money for their mission.
1: Yeah. Thanks for sharing that story. And I think like, I definitely want to dive. We're going to get way in the weeds on what insightful does and why it's important. But yeah. before I want to go back to something you said, because I, I've actually heard this multiple times as I've talked with fundraisers that, you know, kind of stumbled uh, or fell. However you want to describe it into the fundraising profession or the, as a philanthropy professional, as you described it, I love that word, is that they came out of theater and, and I, it, I've never thought about it before, but I'm curious, like, why? Like, what's the parallels there, do you think? Like, why? Why? Like, I've met three very successful fundraising professionals that all came out of theater. We even have one on our team who came out of theater. Do you, are there parallels there that maybe we're not seeing?
0: Yeah, you know, I think there's skill sets that, especially if you uh, want are on the acting track of theater, that you have to learn to be a good actor. And one of them is active listening, and to be a, a great philanthropy professional, you need to be able to listen really well and listen to what the person is saying, and also kind of listen for what might be behind that. Uh, reading body language, I think that's a core skill. And confidence, I think it's just being willing to you know go out there and and have the have the courage to make the ask. Uh, as if you're going to be an actor you have to be brave, right? Uh, you're, you're getting up on stage, uh, you're memorizing your lines, you're auditioning, you're doing a lot of things that require courage and bravery. And when you've learned that, and you kind of have that almost as a second nature, it, it translates really well.
1: Yeah, so this is a note to anyone listening that you should definitely look at theater professionals going forward for fundraising roles. <laughs> I think I think that's not maybe a, a common place we might look. I think that's brilliant. And I love the, the parallel to how a core part of acting, or at least as 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 an element of that, is this idea of active listening or listening. And insightful, like virtuous, really emphasizes the importance of listening, um, not only just in the major donor development or donor relations, but to broader donor signals to really inform how and when you connect with your donors and then what you suggest is the next step. It's kind of like improv in some ways. Like what is, what are you hearing? And then how do you take that and, and, and add on to that? You know, and these signals range from involvement to interest to intent. And I'm curious how, or like, could you really unpack how, insightful really brings a new set of donor signals that we might be ignoring, or we might not more commonly look at, and and how you all take kind of a view on providing these signals uh, to the nonprofits that you serve.
0: Sure. One thing that we provide is, and it's something that you kind of do before the meeting, is it's the ability to really do your homework on your donor, uh, the person that you're about to meet with for the first time, or somebody that you're trying to get In touch with and really learn a little bit more about them. And we, our sources, we have about 13,000 news, media, magazine, transcript sources that go back to the 1970s. So, and a lot of them are from publications that write about people. So you don't have to be a celebrity or, you know, a well known person to have information about you. And Gift officers were able to go in there, learn a little bit about the person's history, their past, um, things that have been reported on, other philanthropy to really help inform that meeting. And, you know, it gives you an idea of what maybe to talk about or where to maybe steer the conversation to make it go well. And also equally as important, maybe some things not to talk about uh, that, you know, that's not it's not going to go well if you bring up certain topics. So. It's just, it's incredible what you can learn from current and historic news and information. And our platform makes it really easy for gift officers and researchers that may serve them to find that information and have gift officers be well-armed when they go into those meetings and prepared. And it's all public knowledge. You know, it's all things that have been reported on. It's vetted sources. So that's, that's one way uh, that Insightful helps. Another way that Insightful can help with donor signals is we have the ability to track um, interests that donors are interested in. So if you're in that meeting, you're actively listening, you're taking good notes and you find out that your donor may be interested in fly fishing or, you know, they are really into their alma mater's football team and you're not fundraising for their alma mater, you can take those things that you heard them talk about, code that into insightful, and our vetted news and information sources will serve the gift officer good, uh, current information about those topics. So that maybe, okay, you've got it, you've had a good meeting, you're due to follow up, you found out that that donor was really interested in that football team, you put that in insightful, you know, a week later, you see that there's big news about that football team. So you use that as an opportunity to engage back with that donor on something other than your organization or raising money. And you show them that you listened. And I think that's so crucial right now to just that active listening, like we talked about, you should actively listen, but then show that you actively listen. And that sets you apart because most people don't do that. Um, most people don't actively listen. They don't take those golden opportunities to engage and follow up. And I think it's really a missed opportunity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've hit on two key things of even how we engage with today's donor. And it's around this idea of listening and, and really leveraging all the signals that are being provided to you, whether it's social insights and signals from social, it's you know using tools like Insightful or even things like wealth screenings and interest tools that enable you to know like what your donors care about. Like you said, the fact that you know that they give to their alma mater gives you a signal even if you're not that alma mater. And that's helpful for you to know because you're understanding the priorities of that donor so that you can better align and really serve them in how they invest their resources and what, in the way that they want to and, and as part of their kind of overall legacy and what they're trying to accomplish. It, the other yeah. thing I think that we underrepresent in fundraising is not only just the listening part, but the preparing part. And again, i i, I I'm I see the clear lines back to like theater, not to make this entire conversation about theater. but I do mm-hmm. think there's this element of like you're listening to not only the signals that you have and kind of understanding like what the role is and what the opportunities are and what you're trying to do on stage. But also then preparing as you engage with this other person, like where you're going into a live environment and having to prepare, and that's I think underemphasized because it's all about like oh you need to get on the phone, you need to call, you need to do the activities, and we kind of me- like manage two activities rather yeah. than like effectiveness. So I I want to kind of dive into that a little bit because I think it comes back to measurement and kind of management is how should. Directors of development or fundraising leaders be thinking about how they're managing in a way that doesn't deprioritize listening and preparedness. Because I do think there's activity-based management that might be short-sighted on this front. What have you seen be successful in the past, or what would you recommend to fundraising leaders?
0: I would recommend to make the part the make the preparing you know a metric. Make it part of what you measure. You know, really encourage your gift officers to go into a meeting with a plan based on what they've found out about that donor, either from going through past notes and the CRM, as we know there's an issue with gift officer turn turnover. You know, the average gift officer is in their position from for you know 12 to 18 months and that's a whole other uh challenge for our industry. But if you're new, you're coming in, you're meeting with somebody for the first time, I think you incentivize that person to go in, look at all the notes. If they have a tool like Insightful, make sure you're looking in there to see, to learn a little bit about that donor, their business history, their family history. Um, You you can just find out so much about that person that's going to help you with that conversation. So a way to incentivize and encourage that is just, especially when you have the meeting, to require that, you know, require that there's a plan. There's a you, the person that's the gift officer has, they've documented what they've learned about that person. And there's the, a goal for the meeting and a desired next step. And that really, I've seen help inform, inform you know, produce good meetings and good results. And just, it's just helpful. And frankly, a donor expects it. If you're you're taking somebody's time to meet with them, you kind of know something about them. I, you know, my husband and I are philanthropic and we've been in way too many meetings where, you know, the new gift officer rolls around every year to 18 months and they don't know anything. And we've had, you know, four other meetings where we've given our history with that organization. Uh, We've talked about people we've known in that organization and why we care about that organization. We've had that conversation, but then a year later, it's Groundhog Day with a new person. So either the person that's showing up to talk to me isn't prepared or the person that I talked to a year ago, didn't put things in the CRM or take the time to do the homework. So I think just making it part of process, sorry to make this a, a long circle, but really just including it in the process, spot checking it and having it be that one more metric to be well prepared.
1: Yeah, is, absolutely.
0: There's fruit. And I think we need to do more of it.
1: No, and I think you hit on another point. And I actually love the the, the kind of the the path that this conversation is actually taking because I think we're emphasizing things that are undervalued when it comes to execution. Not only just in major gift like fundraising, but also our major donor development, but also just in you know everyday donor development. And I think what we've seen is that donors continue to give when they feel like they have a connection with and confidence in the charity to help them serve the cause they care deeply about. In yep. kind of summary when we look at all the research. And if you look at the key insights there, it's like, okay, they need to have connection with, which as you mentioned, like if there's a new person every time and you start from zero, like that connection is is not uh, building upon itself. And the second thing is the confidence. Like if, if you have to keep repeating yourself that like there's a lo- lower level of confidence in that. And then we see that across not only just major gifts, but everyday donors where that's driving, you know, increased Uh, attrition in the donor Mm -hmm. file and also pushing donors just out of the ecosystem or the generosity ecosystem in general. You know, I think there was like a, um, up to a 20% decrease in the last decade of people just opting out of charitable giving because either they didn't see themselves in it or they just didn't feel confident in in the process or believe that the organizations are going to do what's right. And I think there was a recent trust, survey that came out that said like only 47% or something, I think it is, I might be wrong there, 47 or 50% of donors actually believe nonprofits will do the right thing. Like, how, how do we rebuild that? Like, where do we go from here when these are some of the the notions about the philanthropic industry?
0: Yeah, I think we need to do a better job of again listening <laughs> listening to our donors having those conversations and showing them that we we do truly care about them as people not just their what they're giving and that it matters showing that impact i think engaging millennials the right way is really going to help our fa- help our sector and millennials want to see the impact of their giving and their work like gone are the days of people just giving to an organization for 20 years just because it's the right thing to do and because uh, you know they feel a duty to it. Millennials want, they, they want to know that their giving has an impact, that you care about them, that you know them. And if an organization doesn't store that well, they're, they're going to leave and go somewhere else. And there's an opportunity for people that engage this group right and all donors right, that prepare, that listen, and show impact and use every opportunity to, to do that at, as they possibly can. We, we're going to have to work harder.
1: Yeah. And I think we spent a lot of the, the conversation so far on how you uh, steward the opportunity well when you're invited into the room, when the donor is siding and you have you have an engaged donor. And so it's more of like, once you have that, how do you steward that well? But At Virtuous, we've noted that attention is actually one of the most valuable currencies today, and earning attention is really hard as attention is relatively fractured and competition is fierce. So what should nonprofits' leaders be focused on amidst this reality to really earn the opportunity of being in the room with the donor and even getting that chance? What have you seen work with other clients in the past?
0: Definitely. One thing that is working with one client in real time right now is again doing doing the homework, looking up that donor. Uh, I have' an, we have a customer that really wanted to get into a family. they've been really generous. they write very generous checks, but they haven't wanted to have that you know person-to-person relationship based strategy. So we looked them up and we found some key things about, uh, the donor's wife and her career and things that she's interested in. And that organization used that to to get in the door to help, you know, inform how they get in the door, what they talk about. And it went well. So you know, the, the more, you know, I think, especially if it's somebody that is giving those signals of you know, generous gifts or comes up on well screening, doing your homework in a tool like insightful to learn more about that person's story and where the wealth came from, what they're interested in, what other organizations they may give to or care about will help you. Will help inform your messaging to get in the door or may help you find a connection to someone that you didn't know they were connected to that you can work through. So those are a couple of things that we're finding that they're successful, just doing homework and, and learning about that person to inform how you get in touch with them and not just you know, continuing to get in touch. Um, another another thing that I I tell my team and um, you know when I managed um, or when I'm giving advice to other fundraisers is also you know it's your job to get in touch with them. It's not their job to call you back. So sometimes it's just the persistence and the pleasant persistence that you as a gift officer and as an organization just have to have to stay the course because. That's that's your job. It's not. It's your job to get in touch with them. Not their job to call you back.
1: Sarah, you're absolutely right. And I think what I'm always reminded as of is uh, what the task of a fundraiser really is, and it's really based on what the Save the Children founder says um, when she talks about donors, and she said, you know, the world is not ungenerous. They're just unimaginative and very busy. And it's our job to present the facts in a way such a way that it touches or sparks the imagination and drives action. And I think like if we see our role as fundraisers, even around this idea of earning attention, it's not like we're trying to convince people or we're trying to steal attention or get, you know, interrupt people. And rather that it's our jobs to present the facts in a way that activates potential that's already there. I think we have a better understanding of how we can connect with people and really drive them toward our, ca- our our charity as a way to deliver on the cause they care deeply about. And I've seen that firsthand that a variety of organizations I've worked at is like, when we prioritize that, we see growth and results. When we prioritize, how do we get in front of people? How do we get, you know, steal attention or compete for attention? That's when things start looking more short-sighted and we miss on the bigger part of what our job is as fundraisers.
0: I completely agree with you.
1: So. I know we're almost out of time, but I feel like we'd we'd be doing a disservice to to leave the conversation without talking about 2020. You know, 2020 has been quite challenging for nonprofits and really pushed them to their cores and stretched them. You know, and some of our uh, mu- you know mutual clients have been experiencing that and trying to balance that. Um, and how do they scale their fundraising impact? Others are trying to figure out how they reboot their fundraising efforts. But either way, everyone's had to really adapt. Um, and try to find ways that they can emerge and flourish in the future. What opportunities would you recommend fundraisers really turn to during this season of uncertainty? And what have you seen in the past work as you've worked in fundraising for a while now? Sure, as
0: far as what I think people can do in this um, strange stage we find ourselves in is, well, one thing we know and we're finding is that people, people are looking for connection right now. They're looking for a meaningful connection as a lot of the ways that they typically connect in person have been limited or taken away. And I think we have a great opportunity right now to reach busy people that are less busy for one reason or another and who would welcome a connection a Zoom meeting when you know it may have been harder to get a meeting with them pre-COVID. So I think finding unique and interesting ways to connect with those really busy uh, top donors that may not have not been as exciting, as excited to engage with you or your organization are too busy to meet in the past, making the ask for a Zoom meeting, uh, preferably with leadership and to share something important or something creative. I think we can do that. Uh, Also with gift officers, not traveling Right now, they have some more time and can connect with people that they may not have had time to connect with before. you know, really looking at the mid level of their portfolio or building up that mid level of their portfolio, taking you know taking a look at while screening and looking at people a little bit that aren't in your top top, um, but building building that middle portfolio to help grow your giving results. And one, an example of an audience for that is, you know, millennials, uh, you know, there's, there are millennials in your donor base that have capacity currently, or will very soon, especially if you know their family wealth trajectory, uh, to give to your organization at a leadership level. So maybe you haven't engaged with them. Uh, this is an opportunity to, to start that conversation. So just you know, taking advantage of, of the fact that you have found time and you're using it wisely is, is working well for some of our customers. And it's just a way to, to utilize the time.
1: Indeed. And I think it goes back to like that even amidst this time, there's obviously changes and pivots that need to happen. But the core still remains true. Like At the end of the day, it's your job to create systems that really connect your supporters with your story. And that's like just the first principles of fundraising. And I don't think we can forget how we actually go about that. And, I, and you kind of pointed to some of those key indicators or those key capabilities that we really need to have, whether it's, you know, active listening or preparation, or even just the process, documenting donor knowledge and institutional things like using your CRM and the other technology you have in a way to ensure that you're providing a continuous donor experience or what here at Virtuous we call, you know, you have one conversation through multiple channels with a donor, whether that's a donor rep calling them or an email that your communications or marketing team sends. Regardless, it feels like a continuous conversation with that donor. And all of those are so deeply important because we don't know, even in uncertainty, I'm kind of reminded by, I just recently watched um, a documentary called We Are Freestyle, Love Supreme. And it's about like Lin-Manuel uh, Miranda and the ca- some of the other cast of Hamilton who actually are rebooting something they did, you know, 15, 20 years ago um, prior to them ever being famous, which was called Freestyle Love Supreme. And it's a freestyle show where every night it's different, but the amount of preparation, the amount of listening and collaboration and training, the amount of work they do to build relationships between the group, which enables them to when they walk on stage, deliver and a delightful experience for all the guests that are attending every single time. And it's a, I feel like there's a lot of takeaways there to kind of circle back to the theater analogy where even amidst this time, it's still good to go back to the basics and remember what our job is as a fundraiser, but then how we actually go about doing that and really delivering delightful donor experiences. Cause that's that's gonna help build sustainable growth. And we see that every day here at Virtuous. So appreciate those reminders, Sarah.
0: And developing that delightful donor experience with more people in these times when when you have some more time.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You're asking for somebody somebody for a meeting who may be like, oh, wow, you you really want to meet with me? And Mm -hmm. they, they may take the meeting because people are looking for human and meaningful connections right now.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And that's an opportunity to treat like all donors like major donors. And I think the more you adopt that methodology and that mindset as an organization, the more growth you'll see and ultimately the funding you'll be able to have for the impact that you're doing in the world, in our world. So again, I'm grateful for the time and the insights, Sarah. And if people are interested in insightful, how can they learn more or even how this might plug in with their fundraising strategies for 2020 and beyond?
0: Yes, they can go to insightfulphilanthropy.com. And that's our website and all of our contact information is there. There's a couple short videos that go into a little bit more about who we are, what we do, and how we deliver. And there's also an option to get in touch with my team, request a demo. Would love to have conversations. You know, this may or may not be right for you or your organization, and it may or may not be a good time to buy, but We're new and we'd love to show you what we have, get your feedback and have good conversations.
1: Absolutely. Well, Sarah, it's always a pleasure. I'm sure we'll talk again soon.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Noah.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into Responsive Fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack Just for listeners of this podcast, if you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the Responsive Fundraising Blueprint which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You also get the responsive fundraising playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is gonna be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit and it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast.